not proud, but that was me And when I face take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled. I have been telling my story there uh, for eight years now, since my very first day of sobriety. Um, And then I invite you to come here and share your stories. And today, a listener by the name of Anna is here celebrating six months of sobriety, and she decided to celebrate by paying it forward and sharing her story here with you. So uh, without any further ado, meet Anna. Thank you so much, Jean. It's really cool to be here today. Um, And like I mentioned to you before we went on the air, I feel like it's a a newly sober person's bucket list item to be here. Um, So I'm really (laughs) grateful. (laughs) I think that's really cool. Was it something that you kind of promised yourself, like, I'm going to get to this point so I can so I can be on the show? Is it something you kind of, like, made a goal for yourself, or did it just occur to you one day to, to that maybe you would do it? Well, um, I mean, by the time I actually quit drinking, I was kind of, like, like looking for anything to motivate me um, to kind of get any length of time under my belt and... Um, just when I heard like the voices of people that you interviewed and, you know, how many, how many of them just, you know, had gotten to this place that I had been trying to get to for so long. It was just like, well, you know what, this is something I can do. This is something I can work towards. This is, this is part of, that can be part of my goal. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And I, I can tell you without any question that you are giving service to someone else today just by doing this, because every single show it reaches the person that needs to hear it. Like, it's just amazing to me. And I, I know that the show did the same thing for me back, you know, when I was first getting sober and Ellie and Amanda and Lisa were doing the show and I was walking my dog, and <laughs> listening to every episode and just hanging on the voices of other sober people. And I feel like that's how we do this, right? Like we, it's like we reach forward and grab a hand and then we reach back and help someone else. And that's really the beauty of it. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's it's awesome. Uh, I'm glad. Let's start by getting to know you, Anna. Tell us about yourself and and about your story. Okay. Uh, Well, thank you. I I wrote this out, so I hope it doesn't sound too scripted, but I wanted to make sure I got what I wanted to say. Um, And I also realized that for others before me who have shared their story, it's kind of like, how do you – cut out anything like everything kind of ties into our stories and our relationships with alcohol so but I've whittled it down to what I think is uh what I want to share here so um I guess I'll talk a little bit about like kind of my history um and then how it morphed into being a problem for me and then uh and to where I am now um and I think one thing that I can really relate to that I've heard so many other people say is how much their drinking um, was tied to feeling a sense of being abnormal, um, having a lot of shame, um, feeling unworthy. And for me, like first drinking was a solution to all of this. And then it became um, a new source of 
those feelings. So it kind of like went full, full cycle. So, um, kind of like looking back into my life, uh, I grew up in British Columbia on the West coast of uh, Canada. Um, and I grew up in a pretty like middle-class community, a small town. Um, but I, I always kind of felt like my family was, uh, the one that everyone felt sorry for. Like we were like the broken family in the community. We, um, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, both of my parents were very depressed. Um, neither of them work. So we were on welfare. So we never had like nice things. Um, um, both of my parents were always fighting. Uh, there was always lots of conflict and chaos. And, um, my mom was really afraid of my dad. And, uh, so there was a few occasions where when I was a child, we would kind of flee in the middle of the night to transition houses and stay there for a while and then come back home. And so there was always lots of ups and ups and downs. And, um, for the most part, like my mom was really, um, emotionally unavailable to me. Um, and so I felt really like I just, I missed I missed having like an adult in my life that I really felt like I could count on. And so there was four kids in my family. I was third of four. And I think um, from what I've read about like middle children, I definitely played that middle child, like peacemaker role. Um, and I was always really, really concerned about my mom's well-being all the time. And part of that was um, because my dad had told me that, um, she wouldn't, she couldn't really handle motherhood. And so she would probably like kill herself eventually. So, um, I would probably just have to get used to the fact that she wasn't going to be around. So I, I did to protect myself. I kind of like distanced myself from her. Um, and I always kind of kept, kept an eye on her because I felt like that was my job as, as a kid. And now I know that little kids, you know, shouldn't have that responsibility, but that was, that was how it was for me at the time. Um, and my siblings were a lot more, uh, vocal than I was. Like they were a lot more, um, like demanding. So I, I was always kind of sort of a kid that just sort of like blended into the furniture. I just kind of hovered in the background all the time. And I remember being like extremely emotionally sensitive as a kid and always sort of being like, chastised for that, like being too, wore my heart on my sleeve too much and, um, everything would make me cry. Um, I was just like, I just felt very raw emotionally a lot of the time when I was a kid and, you know, I actually, you know, I still do as an adult at the time. Um, but I just remember being very, very sensitive and, and, um, there's a book called the highly sensitive person that I have read and I do believe I'm one of them. And I think that that has a lot to do with kind of what led me into such a problematic relationship with alcohol, but that's sort of another story. But anyway, so I was this really, really sensitive, emotional kid. And I was really concerned with my mom's well-being all the time. Um, and so I didn't, I feel like my childhood wasn't that much of a childhood. Like I was this little adult in this kid's body. And, uh, part of that also was always making sure that I was good and, um, pretty much like as perfect as I could be. 
uh, so that I wasn't going to be any more of a burden to my mom because she already seemed like she was like overloaded. Um, so I, um, you know, when I was a kid, I remember like I loved school and because it provided the structure and safety that I didn't have at home. Um, and so that was another area that I really tried to like be perfect and good at. And, uh, and I just tried to like, not, not put any kind of a footprint or not be any work for anybody. So, um, my parents finally divorced when I was about 10. And at that time, um, my mom had like actually gone through like a fairly significant court battle to get custody of us. And even though my dad had said that she was suicidal, she wasn't really, she was very depressed, but she was not, um, suicidal. And she, you know, after my parents divorced, she did a lot of work on herself and put us through a lot of counseling as kids, which I'm really grateful for, because I think it, um, it really helped me learn a lot about myself and it, also taught me that uh, it was okay to ask for help and talk about your feelings, which has been a gift um, that I feel like I keep learning in my life. Um, so, so, yeah, so that happened when I was about 10. I wanted to just mention um, also that, like, drugs and alcohol were never a part of my family life growing up, so I wasn't really exposed to, like, those kind of problems. Like, I felt like we had every other kind of family dysfunction, but but um, drugs and alcohol were not one of them. And so I kind of felt like the people that did have that in their lives, like, you know, that was kind of the only thing that we had on other families, the fact that there was no addiction. Um, so in that way, I was, like, really sheltered from any types of, like, addictive behavior or intoxication or anything like that. Like, I just didn't really see much of it when I was a kid. So, um, so that was, yeah, so my parents divorced, kind of life stabilized a little bit. Um, and then when I was 15, um, my mom met my stepdad. And this is a really important event in a lot of ways. Um, because for the first time in my life, I felt like she had somebody that was, like, taking care of her. So I didn't really have to anymore. Um, and sort of ironically, or, or maybe not, he was a recovering alcoholic. Uh, he'd been sober for about 10 years when he met my mom. And I remember him talking a lot about uh, 12-step recovery meetings. He was really active in the recovery community. And I think he, um, like, sponsored people. And he, he was just, he was always doing a lot of, like, surface, service work. And uh, he was just, like, the best stepfather, um, you know, I could have ever wished for. Um, and he was really just like such a blessing to my family. And I feel like I'm going to cry when I talk about it just because I appreciate him so much. And, um, and that point it like my life really changed because I felt like for the first time I could be a kid, I didn't have to deal with like adult problems and, um, so I could, I was like, had this new freedom and so I just uh, started going to high school at that point, and um, I was, like, starting to be more, uh, like, social and more normal, and I got a job, so I had more money. 
Um, and I had all this energy that I could like be like a teenager and, uh, kind of like reclaimed my childhood in a way. And so it was a really kind of a positive time in my, in my childhood. And it was also around that time, um, that I tried drinking for the very first time. So I lived in a town where there wasn't a whole lot of things for kids to do. And so, uh, the cool kids in high school would go to like bush parties or house parties. And that was just kind of what people did for fun. And, uh, so when I was 15, I went to visit my sister who had moved to a different city to go to university. And she had, um, you know, recently been introduced to alcohol as well. And I remember her giving me, uh, like peach ciders. And, um, up until that point, I'd always been a little bit afraid of alcohol because it seemed like dangerous in this world that I didn't really know too much about. Uh, but I remember that when I first, um, drank it, I like, I remember having this amazing feeling of euphoric freedom and exhilaration. And I've heard other people talk about this too before, just that like, it was like a feeling like no other, like all of my social anxiety disappeared. All of my, um, shyness disappeared. All of this, just like, it just seemed like magic. And so, um, even though like after that, like the next day I was like horribly sick. Um, I, I still felt like I discovered this like amazing secret that was going to change my life and help me with all of my social anxiety problems. Um, so I didn't, you know, it didn't seem to be really super problematic to me at that point. Like I, I went to parties occasionally, I drank occasionally, um, but it was like, I was still out of all my friends. I was still sort of the one that was like super responsible. Like I never overdid it. I, I, I had wanted, you know, I wanted to still make sure that I wasn't causing anyone any problems. So um, you know, so I kind of continued in my teens, just kind of drinking socially and, uh, you know, really using it as a social leverage. Um, and just before my 17th birthday, I happened to go to a party and I, uh, met the man who would become my husband. Um, so I was just 16 and I remember at that time we were both really drunk, but uh, somehow we forged this connection and ended up dating and our, our relationship um, progressed really quite quickly. And, uh, and we got married when I was 20. And he came from a really strong, like, Christian background and had a very, um, like, came from a really good family, good reputation, um, and for me, he was like this anchor and this like guarantee that I would have like a normal life that was different than my mom had had. So, uh, so I, we got married and bought a house and, um, you know, kind of settled into this young married life. And at this time as well, I was just like socially drinking and, you know, it wasn't really problematic. You know, um, I never drank alone. It was always with friends. And there was a part of me that kind of just like, was like, oh, well, this is just the time of my life kind of thing. Um, and I was going to university. And so that was important to me to, to you know, finish 
my schooling and um, be focused on that. And so a few years went by where we were, um, you know, living, living our lives. And there was um, sort of this pressure, like, for me this, to get pregnant and for us to start a family. And um, he really wanted to raise our kids in church. Um, and I didn't, um, I had some pretty like strong beliefs about organized religion that, uh, didn't seem to be important at the time when we got married, but as I got older, it it did. Um, and I, um, you know, so this sort of became like a source of tension between us. And, um, anyway, so our, our young marriage, uh, ended after a few years Uh, I think we were married for about four years so um so we split up and I ended up experiencing a lot of anxiety um when we separated because you know I'd been with him since I was 16 I hadn't been on my own as an adult um he'd been like I said my anchor and sort of my 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 plan to have a normal life and um I um I had lo- I loved him very much and I, I had, you know, this idea that my life was gonna be this way and then and and then it it was different. So um I had a lot of anxiety being on my own and I decided I needed to start fresh so I moved to a different city and I got a new job and um I I also had struggled with like depression off and on since I was a teenager. And it would kind of like vacillate between depression and anxiety. And um, I didn't really like correlate my alcohol use with it at that time. Um, But I think other than alcohol use, like I would do other things, sort of addictive behaviors that would like self-medicate my depression and anxiety, like taking on things, being busy, um, you know, relationships were another one and so um you know leading into that I wasn't single for very long before I met my second husband um and so I I you know at this point until I met my second husband I was still just a very like social drinker um it, you know, I never had it in the house. I never drank alone. I never, you know, it, it was sort of like a non-issue. I, th- I think I was at that point like a normie. Um, and and then I met my second husband, and uh, he was quite a bit older than me, uh, and he was European, and he was very, like, sophisticated and worldly. Um, as much as I was, like, shy and sheltered and from a small town, uh, and he had this sort of different view about alcohol um, that he introduced me to. Uh, it was about, you know, um, knowing, like, what regions wine came from and what, like, liqueurs to have with different, you know, meals and courses and how to cook with wine and all this sort of thing. And, and it seemed very, like, sophisticated and um, uppity. And it was so something that, like, I was really attracted to at that time in my life seemed exciting and new and um so our relationship progressed very very quickly uh we got married um and I um 
you know, alcohol was just a normal part of our li- our lives. It was, you know, it was sort of the European way, you know, like drinking wine with lunch or, you know, it, it was just very normal. Um, and so this is kind of when my drinking shifted from being like a social party thing to being like a lifestyle thing. And um, for, I guess for me, like, I really felt... Like, if I look back and I'm really honest, this is kind of the part where I could see, like, my insides weren't matching my outsides for, in terms of my alcohol use. Like, I wasn't really comfortable with how much alcohol was a part of our lives, but um, I went along with it anyway um, because I didn't want to risk losing the relationship. And, I mean, it was a, it was a really, um, turbulent kind of toxic dysfunctional relationship anyway but well it would vacillate between that and being very like romantic and wonderful and uh, it was just really like a roller coaster um but so this, this is kind of when my drinking changed and when you know when that when this relationship kind of started falling apart like a year or so after we got married um that's when I think my alcohol changed for me. Like it became less about the relationship with my husband and more about how I was coping. Um, we had a lot of conflict and, um, I found that I was like using alcohol to kind of smooth over our arguments or kind of wash away whatever we'd been fighting about. And, you know, looking back, it it just kind of made it worse really. But, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a normalized thing for me by then. And, um, you know, people talk about whether like alcoholics are like born or made. And I think that this time in my life really showed me that if I was going to, if I was one or the other, I was like a made one. Like I was, I was one that had, um, by increasing the amount that I was drinking and the regularity of it and normalizing it, I became dependent on it, uh, over time. And I started to use it as, like, a stress reliever more than a, a something to celebrate with. Um, so we were together for a few years, and um, and then that relationship fell apart. And, and uh, I found myself basically just, like, barely 30 years old um, and with two failed marriages under my belt. And I started thinking kind of about my upbringing and kind of where, um, you know, where a lot of that came from. Um, And actually at the suggestion of one of my friends, um, I started going to um, adult children of alcoholics meetings. Even though my parents weren't alcoholics, like the meetings were called like adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. And so I thought I definitely fell into that category. So I started going to these meetings almost like just as a way to meet new people that were like working on themselves and um, I don't know, had like a, like a, like a practice and it was a community and it was, uh, it kind of helped with like the loneliness too of being single and, um, I didn't, I didn't want to jump into another relationship again, which I think I was kind of inclined to do. Like that was, 
it was sort of like, I don't think I'd been single at all since I was, you know, 16. And, uh, so I, I, so I did this. I went, I went to these meetings and, and because I was associating with a lot of people that were in other 12 step programs, um, who didn't drink, I kind of stopped drinking for a while in that way. And, and it, and it was, it was great. It was, um, I kind of felt like I'd found my tribe in a way, like it was, it was a really positive, um, group of people and a really good influence and kind of like something to keep me accountable and, um, and healthy. And so I did that for a while. And then I, um, I sort of felt like I, I wanted to like, I don't know, shake things up. Like I wanted to, I was sort of bored with being like really good all the time. I kind of felt like I wanted to rebel a little bit. So I sort of distanced myself from that, um, like recovery community. And I started like going out and, and dating and like going out with people after work and, um, you know, like trying to like, like bounce back from my, my divorces and like getting in shape and, you know, tried to kind of do all these things to like what I thought, what I thought was normal. And, um, and I, I, I really didn't want to get into a committed relationship at that time, um, but I was lonely. So I started this kind of like, um, I started this habit of like just having a glass of wine or two after I came home from work every night or after I went to the gym. And uh, it was just like a nice routine. I would just, you know, um, just like I would limit it and it was not a problem and it kind of, helped me ease from a work day to, um, the evening and helped me kind of forget how lonely I was and that I, um, you know, had made some mistakes that I, you know, never intended on. And, um, and I was also really bored too. I was like bored in the job that I was doing and, and it kind of like made, the boring day, like not so boring when I had that to look forward to. And so this was kind of my routine for a while. And, um, and it wasn't really a problem. Like I didn't think it was a problem. It just seemed like, Oh, well, you know, this is like what single women do. And, you know, maybe I was wrong before to think that, you know, um, like drinking a glass of wine or two every night was like problematic. Like, you know, maybe, maybe that belief was wrong. And so, you know, I did this for a couple years. I'm like, now that I look back, I can see like, this is where the justification started and, and, uh, you know, continued it as it does. Um, and so I was also kind of working on that time of like, at that time of doing a bit of a career change. And, uh, I went back to school. So I was like studying and, you know, even though I was like drinking regularly, like on the outside, I looked like very functional. Like I'd you know, bounced back from these divorces and I was like very, um, fit and very healthy and, um, you know, otherwise like doing well. Um, and then I did end up, um, going, uh, doing a career shift and working, uh, I got a job working in, um, in the criminal justice system, uh, a very like, high stress, demanding, exciting job that I'd been working on getting into for quite some time. Um, 
And so that kind of became like that career shift was like really all consuming to me. Like I was very, I was like working a lot, like working long hours. And even when I wasn't at work, I was like working on stuff around work. Um, and really trying to like, um, like consume my or immerse myself into this new role that I'd taken on. And, uh, I can see how it kind of like, just took over more of my brain that had previously been um, taken up with like my relationships and um, my family stress and that kind of thing. Um, But with this new job um, and the stress that came with it, uh, my routine drinking to wind down at the end of the day became instead of like one or two glasses of wine. uh, Now I was needing like three or four glasses of wine. And um, part of it was also that like, it was very normal in this work culture. Um, like it was just like sort of a badge of honor. Like, you know, we work hard, we drink hard and then we just get up the next day and do it all over again, you know? And like, and, um, that was very normalized in the industry. And, um, you know, this is sort of at this time, like when that became normal, when I was drinking a bottle of wine the night, getting up and going to work the next day and, um, it kind of, there was a shift where I felt like I no longer had a choice. Um, like I felt like I needed to do this now to feel normal. And even though I knew it wasn't healthy, um, it, it worked. Like it was like, I, my anxiety was at an all time high, not just, um, because of the work and the demands on me, but that I, like now that I was in this cycle of um, like maintaining this high, like high, high functioning alcoholism, like just, and I, I felt like I was, I had all these balls in the air and I couldn't let it fall. And so, and also on the outside, I mean, like everything looked good. Like I was advancing in my job. I was like in really good shape. I was um, healthy. I was, you know, I was like doing all these exciting things. Um, and so it's kind of like, I felt like the problem was just this little secret that I had and I couldn't, I didn't really want to stop what, like, I didn't know if if I stopped, I didn't know where, like where it would end. So, um, there was a point, I think it was around this time that I, reached out to you. I'd started kind of researching, you know, like having problems with alcohol. Like, what does it really look like? You know, do I have a problem with alcohol? I'd started kind of, you know, Google searching all this stuff. And, um, so I wasn't really fully convinced that I had a problem, but I, I knew like, I knew something like it had gotten to a point where I wasn't happy. I was doing it to um, like self-medicate clearly. And so, like I said, it was around this time that I first reached out to you. Um, but I wasn't really sure, you know, how much I really wanted to, to quit or if I could quit. Um, and I remember you like when I emailed you and you kind of pointed out to me, like at this point I still had choices. Um, and that I, you know, I didn't have to hit rock bottom. Like I could have 
you know, a high bottom. And, uh, so at that point I like, I, I would, I started go, trying like dry out periods. I would go for two weeks here and there, a few weeks here and there. Um, but it didn't stick. Um, and I just kept like, I don't know. I just, I was in this cycle where I kept bouncing back and forth. I would listen to the bubble hour. I'd research all this stuff and I would have this, um, motivation to, uh, to quit. And, and then it would, something would happen. I'd have a bad day or I'd have a good day or, you know, whatever. It didn't like, it just, I, I would just always end up drinking again or buying wine or, you know, or just back in the old, same old cycle. Um, so that was 2016 and I'll just, if I can, I'm just going to jump ahead to, uh, 2018, um, basically because two years went by and my life basically just got worse. Um, I didn't like do anything like crazy. I didn't like jeopardize my job or I never missed work. I didn't drink and drive. I didn't, you know, nothing like really dramatic happened on the outside, but I did notice that, um, like my depression was getting really bad. My anxiety was really bad and my physical health was also starting to suffer. Um, and so one thing that I haven't really heard much about, but something that I've experienced, um, is that I actually ended up losing my menstrual period and I don't like, I don't have like a definitive medical, uh, diagnosis that says that that was part of it. But I know it like it wasn't menopause because I went to um, you know got all those tests done and um, and so part of it probably was stress related, but I really believe that part of it was like my body saying that I you know I was just like so toxic and stressed out that there's no way that a baby would survive. So that was one of us one side effect that. Um, like I said, I don't hear many people talk about, but I think that that was definitely true for me. Um, so the summer, last summer, summer of 2018, um, I was working a lot, long hours, um, drinking a lot. So I was in this cycle of like work, drink, sleep, wake up, you know, kind of go through this cycle, I'd feel crappy all morning and be like, okay, tonight I'm not drinking. And then, you know, I'd feel better in the afternoon and, you know, basically be hitting the liquor store on the way home. Um, and it just like, and, I, and then I also started like breaking my own rules about like drinking earlier in the day and drinking around people that I normally wouldn't have drank around. And um, so that was starting to get a little bit scary for me too. And, um, and I just, I didn't feel good. I just, nothing could like, like nothing felt good to me anymore. I just, every day was a struggle. And even though like I would show up, I would like show up and do my job and go to work and I go to social functions and I would like do all these things that looked normal, but I just felt like I was dying inside. Um, and I didn't, I just, I didn't know, I didn't know where it was going to end, but I knew that if I didn't stop drinking, it was going to get like dangerous for me physically. Um, 
And I just wanted to mention here that, like, I got into the point where I was drinking so much that I was, like, blacking out a lot. Like, I would drink to the point of blackout at night just to go to sleep, um, which was really scary. Um, and I, I hadn't, like, that was new. Like, that was, that was kind of, like, broken a threshold that I hadn't broken before. So that was basically my summer last, my last summer. And I, I had the opportunity to take a few days off of work in September. Um, and I kind of did it spontaneously just because I was like really burnt out. I physically felt ill. Um, and I was just like kind of hitting the bottom. Um, and so the first few days I was off work, like, I, I didn't stop drinking. I drank like pretty much from morning till night. Um, and I didn't really plan to do that. It was just kind of what I, I did. And then like a really kind of a strange thing happened, like a few days of that. Um, and the alcohol like literally started to taste to me like poison and I remember I'd been reading like even though I'd been drinking for those days I'd been like reading recovery material like I was sort of in this weird state where I was like trying to get sober but I was still drinking like like in the moment um or trying to convince myself or and I I think I remember reading something on Holly Whitaker's um website about how like she referred to wine as like grape flavored ethanol grape Mm -hmm. flavored gasoline or something like that and that was just like an image that I couldn't get out of my mind like I actually had this image of like putting the gas pump up to my mouth and and I think like so like the alcohol just all of a sudden tasted poisonous to me and I um I dumped out whatever else I had and I went to bed for like a long time and I like slept for a long time and then I got up a while later um and just feeling like okay this is it this has to be it and you know that wasn't the first time I'd had that experience where I dumped alcohol out or had that like thought that this has to be it but um but for whatever reason at that point it it took hold and that was um so that was September 14th of last year. Um, and that day I had planned to meet a friend of mine and, uh, I still remember walking to meet her and just feeling like my head was like, like wasn't working properly. Like I, I actually thought that I had like maybe given myself some brain damage from how much I'd been drinking. Like it was just so fuzzy and foggy. And, um, I just was like terrified. I was just, I was so scared. And I went to go meet her and I, I just, I told her, I said, you know, I, I, I've never said this to anybody before in my life, but I think I have a problem with alcohol. And, um, and she was just really, I don't know, just kind. And, um, you know, I didn't think that she was going to judge me, but I, for some reason I'd never told anybody really in, in my life before about that. And, I'm um, just saying it verbally out loud was really powerful for me. 
Um, and so I kind of like said to her, like, okay, like this is, you know, I, I haven't drank anything today and I don't want to, and this is what I want to do. And, um, kind of just verbalizing that plan to somebody else too, I think kind of made some accountability. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was my day one. Um, my last day one. And, um, at, at that point I, um, all I wanted to do was like the hundred days. And I, like, I was so fragile at that point that, um, that's really all I could commit to. And I'd heard, you know, you mentioned on the show that, you know, you, um, you prefer to interview people that have had, that have at least 90 days under their belt. And so I was like, okay, well, this is, this is going to be my goal. Then it's going to be around Christmas time. And I'm going to, I'm going to do a hundred days and then I'm going to contact Jean and I'm going to, you know, offer to share my story. And at that point, when I reached a hundred days, I still felt like, um, I, I don't know, just like I wasn't quite ready to, to do this yet. Um, I found that like the first hundred days was like extremely emotional. Um, I cried a lot. I slept a lot. Um, and that's like kind of like all I did. I just did like the bare minimum. I just like all I could do was focus on not drinking. Um, and it got easier every day, but literally sometimes it was like moment by moment. Um, I, journaled a lot I made a lot of like pro and con lists I walked a lot I listened to podcasts and um like back-to-back episodes of the bubble hour like sometimes I would just like listen like every spare moment I would listen and um it was just so soothing to me to hear the voices of people that had kind of walked this path before and gave me so much hope that I could like but I could too, um, because like at one point I thought I, I wouldn't and that I was going to end up, um, you know, like on the street. And I, I worked in a position where I saw a lot of addicts and I saw a lot of what addiction did to people. And like, it terrified me. It terrified me because I got to the point that I, I actually saw how that happened, how that could happen. And that could be me and nothing really separated me from, that like if I was going to keep going the path that I was going on um and so I um yeah so I just kept doing it moment by moment and I I just I don't know like I I can't really say put my finger on exactly what was different at this time it's just that but it, something was different, and I um, I took the opportunity to like learn as much as I could about alcohol and and the alcohol industry and um, and how it's been different for women. And I read um, well, I read a whole bunch of books, but I read um, Anne Dowsett Johnson's book. Um, mm-hmm. Drink. And how she talks about, yeah, drink and how she talks about how, like the, how the industry has changed to, to target women. And like, I mean, that just like lit this fire in me. And 
sort of, I felt that like at one point drinking had been my rebellion and now all of a sudden like sobriety is my rebellion because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing what, like what everyone wants me to do. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and that's being sober and it's, um, yeah, so that's kind of like how, how I ended up here. I mean, I, I still, when I look back over the last six months, I feel like it's been so long and it's also been so short. Like, you know, when I went for so many years without barely being able to make through like a day or a week, now it's just like, I, now it's just, it's, it's a new normal and it's just like, it's the best thing in the world. And I remember um, I listened recently to the episode where you read letters and uh, and you read somebody talk about how like you know like nothing nothing is like so miraculously different like I haven't nothing really has changed like I still have a lot of the same routines I still have a lot of the same problems I still you know I'm struggling with a lot of the same things that I struggled with before but it's just like everything is so much better. Everything That's is awesome. just like, yeah, and it, it's it's easier. Everything is is so much easier, and I mean, I still I still have to work very hard to, um, like manage my anxiety and depression. It's still there. It, but it's it's. It, I feel like it's here, honestly. And it's led me into like really kind of building a healthier life for myself um, that I can actually live with, that I can sustain. Um, And that's something that when I was drinking, I knew that it wasn't sustainable. And I love what you said about sobriety is basically your stand, like it's your rebellion, because I feel like for the last... I don't know, I guess it's about 100 years since Prohibition was lifted and drinking, you know, through the roaring 20s and dirty 30s was kind of a feminist thing. Like, it was a new thing for women to be able to drink. And I feel like it was like a symbol of female empowerment. And now, you know, you just made me realize that there's this big shift, this big awakening that's happening with women of realizing that it's an oppressor. Alcohol is an oppressive thing in our lives and that recovery is is like that's our true freedom is like mental health physical health and being fully in charge of ourselves so i love that you identify that as being your personal rebellion and your your stand in this world despite whatever external pressures there are well yeah and and you're so right in that like it's it's sort of become um like part of the oppression you know like i can't count of like how many times you know um socially there's been this thing like well we're gonna like like just drink to deal with the fact that you know we still get leered at we still you know we still um deal with like sexual harassment in the workplace we still like this is still like a thing and and you know at one point like um, you know, drinking at it, kind of drinking to keep up with men was part of like the rebellion or, or it kind of soothed like the pain of it. But now it's kind of like, no, wait a minute. Like that just makes us more like vulnerable. 
and it makes us more, um, you know, like shape-shifting to like what the world wants us to be rather than like strong and empowered and, and free. So tell me how your work experience has really changed then now that you're not drinking. Is is it less stressful, more stressful, socially awkward? Like what how have you how does that feel? And how has that changed over the last six months? Um well I mean it's it's less stressful in a way. Um because I don't go to work like feeling like the, like anxiety all the time. I don't have that to deal with. Um, but it's also like, I think what's been most interesting is it's made me really clear on how, um, like the work itself maybe is not really a great fit for me. And I, and I kind of like pushed myself to, to prove something, um, rather than just admitting to myself that maybe like this wasn't really what I, the work that I wanted to do. Um, so that's kind of been really clarifying for me and that I, you know, I don't feel like I have to be as invested in it. Um, I mean, like I can still go and do the work, but it doesn't have to be my everything. Like it's just, it's just kind of like what I do right now for work. It's not, right. um, it's not, it's not who I am. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it sounds like you've really clarified your own um, perception of yourself and your own identity. You really, actually, I was going to ask you about that because I feel like sometimes I worked in a male dominated industry too. I was in the construction industry and I loved my work and I worked my butt off, but I also always felt like I had to prove myself and nobody was making me feel that way. I was telling myself that's what I had to do. And I also felt like, um, you know, I could, like I had to be tough like a man, like, like there is no crying at work, right? Like there's no, um, don't you don't get emotional. You don't like you, you don't get too happy. You don't get too sad. Like I was just all business all the time, and that was all coming from within myself. And it was all kind of an armor thing that I wore. So for you, as you know, you described yourself as being a highly sensitive person and really tuned in to other people. And um, do you feel like you kind of just lost yourself and let let what the expectations around you were define you? And now you're finding yourself. Do you, do you think you'll leave your job, or do you think you'll stay with it? Like, tell me some more about your thoughts around that. Um, well, I mean, I definitely can relate to the, like the armor. Um, I I feel like in a way, like this this particular job is like like I need the armor for it, and it kind of like I think I developed the armor before that, but this kind of like became more like oh, I'm just going to add another layer to that so that I can really hide from myself. <laughs> you know, I, I really don't have to admit that I'm as sensitive as I am. or um, Because to me, I guess I'd always seen that as a weakness. And now, um, now that I'm sober, I actually like, I'm actually kind of seeing that it's a gift. And it's something that I... Um, 
like I want to kind of channel into doing a career shift eventually, which I'm, which I'm working on. And I've kind of, I've done some like preparation, I, you know, some more training so that I can make that happen um, when the time is right. Um, and, but like, you know, really like the armor was about, in a way, it's like what you said about, you know, this sort of toughness or, you know, it's, it's self-imposed. It's not that I felt like other people were putting it on me, but when I'm really honest, it was like really what I had told myself that I can't be who I am. I'm not okay who I am. I have to, you know, um, just be this sort of tough persona. And like, it's kind of easy. Like if, if you just kind of ascribe yourself to this sort of um, image that fits with this job, then, you know, it's kind of safe. It's like you don't have to, like, explore who you really are and what your true feelings about things are. Like, you can just sort of shapeshift to, you know, what what you might think is, is normal. Mm-hmm. But, but you also lose out in, in what your real truth is. Right. And so that's kind of, like, where I'm feeling right now is, like, I almost feel like I've had to kind of take a step back and, like, look at my sobriety is almost like, like inner child work. Like it's, it's like this like precious little baby that I'm going to protect and like, like, ex, like find out who I really am. And yeah. like, I, I have to be honest, like it hasn't been all pleasant, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Babies are a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like, it's been like messy and, um, you know, I, I've, but like, that's, I guess one thing that I kind of promised myself is that I would just be really, um, sit with my feelings and let them be and not and try to drown them out, mm-hmm. um, as I had for so many years. Yeah. Do you feel uh, like you can act better as well with the people that you serve? Like, I'm not sure the exact nature of your job, but you were saying you encounter people that are in all, you know, various stages of crisis and addiction and uh, other things going on. Like, do you, I, I'm surprised at how compassionate I've become because I used to define myself in opposition. Oh, I'm not like them. Oh, I'm better than that. Or I don't do that. And now I'm realizing like, you know, we are just all one bad day away from the gutter. Like, and, yeah. and they are yeah. one good day away from our life. Do you, yeah. Has that made a difference to you in your work? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess like, even though you know, I still have to, you know, fall. Like, I still have to wear like the professional hat. Um, I, I'm less about like what, like what that looks like, and I'm more about just like being present with people. And, um, and just like, yeah, having compassion and Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's probably not like, it's not what the job description is. It's not like what, you know, what I really, um, it's not maybe what I'm supposed to be doing, but I feel like from my heart, it's like, it's more purposeful. 
And it's healthier for me. It's healthier for me to, like, actually show compassion um, with people rather than, um, like, put on this, like, well, I'm on this side of the desk and you're on that side, so, you know, we don't have anything in common. Like, that doesn't help anybody. Right. Yeah. Um, We're almost out of time, but I have a couple more questions I want to ask you. So you said, you know, I, I couldn't find our original emails when I went to look back. So I didn't get a chance to read them all um, before we talked today, but I, I do remember writing, and it's funny to hear you say that I told you that, you know, you were at a spot where you still had choices because that's definitely something I would say. Um, that's something I've really learned is that, you know, the, the farther we go into the addiction spectrum, the, the deeper we go into it, just one by one, choices fall away. And um, and the choice that, like, before you're on the addiction spectrum, then moderation is a choice, but, you know, you don't have to get very far onto it before it's no longer a choice. Okay, well, now you have a lot of choices in how you're going to abstain. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, could you feel the truth of that when you heard it for the first time? And then as your drinking progressed, could you feel your choices falling away? Well, I mean, I think, like, it became very true for me in that, like, addiction kind of takes on a life of its own. And it really is, like, um, it becomes, like, it's so tricky because you think that, like, you are making the decision. But at least for me, I felt like it wasn't really me. Like, even if I had been sober for, like, a week and all the alcohol was in my system, I still felt like it had its hooks in me by by telling me that I could, you know, yeah, you can can get a bottle of wine on the way home. Like, you're fine. You You just went a week without alcohol, you know? Like, you don't have a problem. And it was that, like, that was what was so scary for me is that, you know, I went from being a person that really believed that, you know, alcohol was, um, like, kind of something to be, like, wary of in my upbringing. You know, like, it, it was not a normalized part of my life. I always sort of saw it as, like, something... um that caused like a lot of problems in people. Like it was just, it was, it was uh, like it, it brought no, nothing good to anybody really. Um, and it was a poison. And so I went from kind of having this, what I think was like a healthy fear of it to being like, no, it's like, you know, I just didn't like, I just hadn't been shown like the good life. And so it was kind of like this very conniving, um, friend that is going to like do whatever she can do to manipulate you into like doing what she wants you to do for her benefit only, you know? Um, and I really felt like I was like, like, and kind of in a way, like it played into my feelings of insecurity and feelings of like loneliness in that way. And that it was like, Oh, like here's this like friend that's never going to let me down. Right. And it's like, yeah. other, like unlike my relationships with men too, it was like, oh, well, this is like, 
you know, I don't have to like get, get invested. I don't have to change my life and, you know, um, you know, change my name and, you know, like all these things that came with my, um, like problematic relationships with men. It was like, no, 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 this is better. This is better, you know? And so I did you grieve like, that then when you, when you quit? I, I hear, I experienced it and I've heard it from a lot of other people that there's an element of grief because we do see it as a best friend and an important part of our life. And when it's gone, you know, you, it's not only gone, but you realized it was never what we thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That definitely, like, that was definitely true. I felt like I was giving up something, um, and, you know, like, to be honest, even though, like, my – now it's normal for me not to drink, I still grieve it sometimes. I still have, like, moments yeah. where, like, um, I miss the illusion of what alcohol used to bring me. I miss, like, all of the associations. Um, mm-hmm. And now, like, you know, the weather's starting to get nice, and it's, like – Oh, like patio weather, you know, like, and all sort of like all the things that go with that. It's like, I have these little twinges of like, like that, um, that promise of, of a certain experience. And I know that that's like an empty promise and I know I can just have as much fun and enjoy like even more so, um, without the alcohol, but there is still that like weird thing that I find myself being like, Oh, just sad about it. You know, like, I'm not going to experience that again. And I have to remind myself, like, no, that's a good thing. That's good news. But it's I still have that moment of, of sadness and grief, for sure. I think it's hard to deprogram ourselves after just believing in that lie for so long. I want to end yeah. with just a question about your stepdad, because you just talked so glowingly about about him and the relationship you had and, you know, having a person in your life that was living sobriety and what that meant to you. So I'm wondering if you've shared your sobriety with your mom or your stepdad and, and what that's looked like. Um, you know, like, it's sort of funny because I, um, you know, I never really talked about my drinking with my family members. Like, I think some of them kind of, knew at the end that something was going on with me um but it never really was spelled out and when I did finally quit I did share with my mom and my stepdad that I had um that I had been drinking a lot it was a problem and and that I had quit um and you know it was sort of like it was like one of those things that I built up in my mind to be like really going to be a big deal and it was just like really <laughs> anticlimactic it was just like oh that's nice honey you know like um and so I um yeah I mean like yeah it's not something that I've really talked a lot about with with them um but interestingly I have um, shared more of it with my, with one of my sisters who, um, also kind of went through a similar process as, as I did, but we never talked about it at the time, but now we're both like, like, <laughs> like sober and we're like 
were bonding over it. And it's so funny because we like, well, it's not funny. It's sad actually that we struggled so much on our own without connecting about it. And now we're finally like connecting and talking That's about amazing. all these experiences that we shared. Yeah. And it's really cool. Like we actually went to a concert last weekend together, first concert that I'd gone to solar and, uh, and we just like, we're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to go to this concert. And, and we just kind of like watched all the people that were getting drunk around us. And we were just had this little, like this bubble, actually, this like safe, like sister bubble that we just like, you know, were there together. And um, it was, it was amazing. It was beautiful. And I'm so grateful uh, to kind of found that connection with her Um and like, and, and that we can just grow that. Like there's so many experiences I think that we'll, we'll be able to share as we share more, but like this, this opening up to one another is, has been very recent, like just in the last couple of months. So I'm really excited about that. That is, that is amazing. I'm so happy for you. That is incredible. Um, I didn't know that. So <laughs> that's like yeah, a well, surprise yeah, and a happy ending. <laughs> Although it's not the totally ending, but I mean, it's the, it's the end of our hour, but um, I feel like I'm just sending you off in good hands knowing that, that you have your sister to share this with. That's fantastic. Before I let you go, do you have any um, sort of last thoughts or words of encouragement if there's any listeners that are sober curious or on their first days or well into it but wobbling? Um, what words do you have to say to them? Um, yeah, I think like... The some things that were really helpful for full for me, and that was my intention with um, sharing here, is just that I'm so grateful for the stories that I've heard that kind of held like held me as I gathered my days and my strength. And um, so, I think what was some of the things that I just wanted to mention is that you know wherever you are, um, just keep trying, just keep trying you know, something will switch. Like it's, it's kind of like, like layers of the onion. Like it's just one thing at a time. It's, it's, it's just, you know, you just have to keep having hope that, um, that you can do this. Um, and like, I really like what you talk about having like patchwork recovery. Like I never did like a meeting specifically either. Um, in fact, like, I think I've gone kind of more, like, nurturing my introverted side and my my need to be alone and getting comfortable with being alone. Like, so just, like, being really open to what it is that you need, like, what's going to support your sobriety and just not judging it. Um, and, like, I know, like, when I first was starting to try to stop, I would, like, do all these, like, kind of cleanses or weird diets or whatever to try to, like, like insert sobriety into it and what actually worked for me in the end was just just focusing on removing alcohol and like anything else was like free game so like I ate whatever I slept where whenever um I never ended up like starting to use marijuana or anything else like that but I all I focused on was removing alcohol from my life and that was really pivotal for me just just to put my energy into that one thing um i 
when you mentioned grief, like, I think it's really important to give yourself permission to like grieve the loss of the relationship with alcohol. It's, um, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a goodbye and, uh, it's, it's a good thing. Um, and it, it becomes a very like exciting thing. It's kind of like when you, when, when you end a relationship, it's really sad at first, but then after a while you're like, Oh, I'm just so much better off without him. You know, it's kind of like that. Like, honestly, it, it, it does get better. It gets way better. Um, and I think just like for me, like education and like collecting knowledge about alcohol and what it, uh, its role in my life, its role in like in the lives of so many women, um, has been really empowering for me. Um, I really like, I've, like I said, I read a lot of books. I really liked, um, like Christy Coulter's book and I really like what she talks about. Um, she, she puts a lot of energy into, um, you know, just sort of that, like the, the clear reality of what alcohol, um, has really done for women, um, and not done for women basically. Um, so just like educating yourself, just like, just keep reaching out for more and more knowledge that's going to support your sobriety, like whatever, whatever that means for you. Um, awesome. And, I just ordered Christy's yeah. book and I noticed oh, that so she, she was a guest on the Unruffled podcast today. So, um, oh, cool. after listeners are done listening to your episode here, they can go over to uh, Tammy and Sandra's um, Unruffled podcast and have a listen to uh, Christy on there because, you know, we're all, we're all pulling each other together here. We're all pulling each other yeah. forward. <laughs> well, I'm so definitely awesome. going to do that. Yeah. Um, she's hilarious, too. So I haven't listened to it yet, but I can't wait because I love them all. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been really great talking to you and to hearing, to, to hear your story, you know, more fully after sort of peripherally writing back and forth to each other for years, I guess now. So it's, it's really uh, just, my heart could just sing with joy at hearing where you're at and where you've, how far you've come and, and where you're going to go. So I thank you so much, Anna. And I want to let listeners know that um, if you want to express your thanks to Anna or um, give her any feedback or um, share your story with Anna, if you have feedback from this show that you'd like to share with Anna, you can write it to me, thebubblehour at gmail.com, and then I will make sure that Anna gets it. And um, the time has flown by, so we have to run. So that's, I guess that's it for this time. Um, everyone, until next time, please do take good care. Not proud, but that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Weakness head on me In a dark corner is where shame It's just they can wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light.
Oh, uh-huh. 